0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. The title of my sermon is not 27 years of Gospelite. It's Father's Matter. And so I want to talk to you about that uh, for a few minutes. So if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua judges good if you need to worship God raise your hand and we'll get one of you right away everybody with the uplifted hand We're going to get you something to take notes with I'm looking forward to the next three weeks and then I'm not looking forward to the next three weeks Let me tell you what I mean by that. I am uh, we just celebrated Mother's Day and you know what's interesting is I had no um, connection with God whatsoever to preach a message from mothers or to mothers on that day. I didn't. I just felt like, you know what? Uh, I, we're going to celebrate Mother's Day. We're going to recognize mothers. And we did. And, and it, But I just didn't feel compelled uh, to spend any any time focusing on uh, on, on that on, on, on Sunday. Man, I feel the totally, totally opposite to that regarding next week. In fact... I I think that there is such a need for what I'm going to say for the next three or four weeks that I've not just taken next Sunday, but I've taken the Sunday before, next Sunday, the Sunday after. And if I'm not done, I'll take one more to speak on this subject, fathers matter. Fathers matter. Now, it doesn't mean mothers don't matter. Mothers do matter. I do believe this, that uh, we don't have... (laughs) I'll say it like this. I don't know that we have as much a mother problem in the world today as we have a father problem in the world today. And I, I want this sermon series to really benefit our church family. Um, I, I preached it at the 9 o'clock hour, and it seemed the sentiment was, Phew. thank you, preacher. That was tough. That was, but I needed it. Thank you. And, and that was about two dozen people on the way out. Just, It's not easy to hear everything I'm going to say, but yet... As always, I can assure you, we're going to end on a very strong note. I want to assure you that as we kind of plod through some of this in Scripture, which it's all in the Bible. In fact, I have very little on the screen today because I want you to look at the written Word of God on your laps, okay? Or on your phones or your computers, whatever you've got fine. But I really want to focus in on the Word of God this morning. Um. You know, I'm a dad. I'm a dad of five children, um, four boy, uh, three boys, two girls. The three boys came first, and so it was almost like learning how to be a dad again when I had uh, little Chloe, you know. Um, and so I, I'm still learning, and yet I find myself on the back end of being a father to children in the home. And now I get the chance to be a grandfather, yes, uh, but still a father to my children in, in many ways. Um, I see mistakes I made. I see, uh, you know good things that I did. I see bad things that I did. I mean, I can look back and and I can now teach out of a life of experience. But also, uh, I I think I can understand some things that are going on today uh, in our country that really have something to do with father wounds. Uh, Father wounds are common. Uh, As I counsel, and my wife as well, um, we have found that the adult impact that lingers from deficient fathering in childhood continues in adulthood, and it's so common. Um, I think we can see there's some very sad statistics out there. I've got a few on the screen just to kind of get us a little sober-minded for a moment, Uh, and here they are. Daughters are less likely to engage in risky sexual behavior when they have consistent contact and a sense of closeness with their dads. I mean, just, just, These statements, these facts are so powerful, dads. I want you to embrace these things. Um, And I'll explain a little bit about the direction of my my series in just a moment. So we'll just run through these. Dad's involvement during pregnancy positively influenced health outcomes for mom, dad, and the baby. Um, Just keep rolling. Uh, Two million single-father households, verse 10 million, I was raised in a single-mother household in the U.S., Children raised in a father-absent home are more likely to experience behavioral problems. Adolescent boys with absent fathers are more likely to engage in delinquency than those with fathers who are, very, very critical word here, don't don't forget this word because we're going to finish with this word, who are present. All right? 92% of parents in prison are dads. Individuals from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. And finally, children living in female-headed homes with no house present have a poverty rate of 47.6, over four times the rate for children living in married-coupled homes. These are staggering statistics. Just a few more. 90% of homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists. ...come from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent drug abuse... ...come from children who live in fatherless homes. 70% of juvenile incarceration... ...children in fatherless homes. And then, mm, staggering sad statistics... ...63% of all teen suicide... ...come from homes without a father. Now, this is not a series to parade and to punish father failures. Please do not mistake this and the next few weeks for that. We're not here to do that. Honestly, if anything, we're going to show you how the heavenly father, uh, the one who we understand to be the perfect dad. Can I get an amen? How many of you have had that perfect dad, the heavenly father? Amen? Is that right? Can all of you raise your hand? I have. If If you know God, if you know Jesus as your savior, then you have an answer to your father wound. The goal, though, is to proclaim how God the Father fills the void of human father failure and heals the hurt of every human father wound. Now, whether we want to admit this or not or like this or not, our fathers matter a lot. Sometimes I know that that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. But whether your father is living or whether your father has gone on to eternity, your father matters to you a lot. He has impacted your life. Sometimes we don't want to hear that, especially if we have a, a deeper father wound. But this affects your view of authority. Your relationship with your dad will affect your view, ultimately, of authority. Like the police or the government or those that are placed in, in charge. Potentially even a pastor. This affects your view of conflict resolution. Your relationship with your dad will have something to do with how you kind of work through issues and have uh, conversations through uh, conflicts. Your, uh, Your relationship with your dad will affect the degree of openness that you have with others, whether or not you feel safe to share the things that are on your heart. And then also your view of friendship. Let me make this statement. Where your father's conduct was a significant departure from God's word or from God's will, it leaves a significant wound that has to be healed. I want you to understand that. And that's what I'm asking God to do for our church family. Whether it's a deep wound or just a surface wound, I'm asking God to heal those wounds because I want you to know there is good news. Your father in heaven wants to heal that he wants to heal that now let me talk to you about fathers we're going to address and this begins your notes three fathers over the next three weeks first of all this morning actually we're going to start a little bit light it doesn't feel very light as we get into the message but we're going to talk about the permissive father and the permissive father is the father that says whatever you want whatever you want and then we're going to talk about the abusive father And this is the father that says, whatever I want. And then finally, we're going to talk about the passive father. And he simply says, whatever, whatever. All three of these are very different and they have different wounds in relation to each of those that are prevalent in so many homes. As I read through those three and as I prepared these messages in advance and I've been working on this for two months, uh... To be honest, I can see failures in each one of those categories as you hear the entire messages. I can also see many victories and things that God graced me with as I raised my children. So by no means are you listening to the, to the perfect dad. I'm just talking to you about dads in the Bible who have made some mistakes that are still common today, very common today. And let me say this, I'm going to talk a lot about parents too, because sometimes Even though moms were focusing on dads, we can be guilty of some of these things that we need to to overcome and, and ask God to help us with as we raise our children. So let's look at Judges chapter 13. You're probably there. We're going to talk about Samson for a few minutes. And let me begin by saying this. Samson was a mess. He was a mess because he had a permissive father. He was on a fast track to disaster. And you're going to see that. I want to make this statement. Beware of father's permissiveness and neglect. It doesn't make for an excuse for the sins of our children. In other words, everyone's going to give an account to God, okay? But it does help us to understand a little bit more maybe why a child went that direction. It may have had something to do with how his dad raised him or her. So that's what I want us to look at. By no means am I excusing. Everyone here must give an account. But I think it's more understandable when we see how parenting took place. Judges chapter 13, beginning verse 1 and 2. Just follow along with me as we kind of begin the message. And the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. Now, next to Manoah, I have this written out, just for me, and you may want to do it just for you. I like to write in the margin of my Bible. I have Samson's dad. Samson's dad's name was Manoah. His wife, she was barren, which means that she had no children. They probably had tried to have children, but there was an infertility problem here or some other issue going on, and they had no children the Bible says and that brings me to my very first reason why Samson's parents were permissive and I think these three reasons I'm going to give you are very prevalent in homes where parents are permissive. Number one, there was an intense longing for a child. They had no children. We're not sure exactly why. As I mentioned, maybe it was a prolonged infertility. Maybe uh, it was a difficulty to conceive him. It could have been that he was an only child, which I'm pretty sure he was. Maybe it was a miraculous provision uh, in an adoption. I know know that can happen. We have a special needs child. That can play into it. There is a tendency to idolize the child when there are one of these scenarios involved. When there's an intense longing for a child, there's a tendency to avoid at all costs upsetting the child. So oftentimes a parent becomes permissive when this exists. For instance, Abraham had to learn this with Isaac. Remember that crazy story when Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain and he followed God's uh, ask there to To sacrifice your child. Give me your child. A.W. Tozer said it like this. God had to step in and rescue Abraham from the consequences of his uncleansed love. Why? Well, beware of putting your children in the place of God. Beware of that. God allows no rivals. And where your children are more important to you than God is, your children are not advanced by that. They are very disadvantaged by that. And so when there's an intense longing for a child, oftentimes a parent will be permissive. Secondly, I want you to see something in verse number three as we begin to see this second reason why Samson's parents were permissive. It says here, and the angel of the Lord, I love that. Uh, Now, in the margin of my Bible, next to that, I have the word Jesus. This was in in, in a uh, pre-incarnate picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here. That's the song we just sang a moment ago. There was another in the fire. That's Jesus. Amen. He was in the fire. That was, you know, pre-the cross, pre-the empty grave. But here is Jesus, the angel of the Lord, often said in the Old Testament. He appears to the woman. And here's what he says. Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful. I don't want you to drink any wine, no alcohol, and don't eat anything unclean. Also, if you notice in verse 14 of that chapter... She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or anything that's unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. The second reason why I think Samson's parents were permissive. First of all, there was an intense longing for a child. But secondly, there was great personal sacrifice. There was a lifestyle adjustment as a result of this child coming into the world. Many of us have experienced lifestyle adjustments because of children. This child was going to change the way that they were living. And as a result of that, it led to some permissiveness from the parents. Uh, we have to guard against that with a special needs child. If you have a special needs child, do you know what I'm talking about? Where the needs are great, there is a tendency to be permissive. I, I You know, I, I want to say a word. I, I want to walk in some unchartered territories and be very careful how I do this because I, I, I do think it's serious. But I want to just give you a, a thought about... Sometimes when our kids have things like an allergy, a peanut allergy specifically. I don't know how many times as a pastor I've dealt with parents who because their child has a special situation in their lives, it's almost as if it's really hard at times and we become permissive with that child because of this great need that they have. And we need to be careful about that. Just be careful about it. I'm all for us being cautious about issues, but sometimes we can be so overly cautious <clears throat> that we can become permissive. Thirdly, I want you to see something else. Look at verse number five of Judges chapter 13 before we move on here. It says in verse five, it says, uh, when we get there for behold, you shall conceive the bear a son. I've already read that. Let's see here. Uh, oh, and here it is. No razor shall come upon his head. Why? Well, he's going to be a Nazarite. That's an Old Testament vow uh, for a sacred calling upon a child's life. And so the Bible says here that the child should be a Nazarite to God from the what? From the womb. Listen, there was no Walgreens pregnancy test needed for this kid. I mean, how many of you ever done that? You know, you get the pregnancy test to find out, you know, I'm pregnant. No, here we had the angel of the Lord come and say, listen, uh, you're going to have a child. And actually, he's going to be like really great. He's going to save a nation. Number three, where there's an intense longing, where there's personal sacrifice, where there's great expectations placed upon the child, the stage is set for something disastrous. The damage of the permissive parent is set with these three factors in place. You know, I, I know this doesn't mean much to a lot of you, but... Some of you that are basketball fans, you've heard of a man by the name of LeBron James. They call him, you know, it's sad, really. They call him the king, you know. But he's got a son, LeBron Jr., and the expectations placed upon that child, in my opinion, to be greater than his dad are almost scary. I'm scared for him as a son. And I think sometimes we can place such great expectations on our children, maybe at times trying to live out our failures in them so they can be successful and give them every chance and we kind of think is that as something that is good but i want you to i want you to know something sometimes that can result in permissive parenting now the bible doesn't say much about samson as a kid in fact it doesn't say anything about samson as a kid i kind of think it was probably because he was a hellion and it would have just taken way too much bible space to explain it all but here's what we do see We don't see anything about him as a child all the way through his teenage years. Nothing. We just see the outcome of the parenting. The results of it. We see that beginning in chapter 14. It says in chapter 14 of Judges, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah. And Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. He sees this really attractive girl and he comes up and tells his father and mother, Hey, Mom, Dad! I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines of Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Now I want to say this. I was never the perfect child. I wasn't the perfect son. But I never talked to my parents like that. I mean, as I read that, I just sense this entitled kid who tells his mom and dad, Hey, I saw this real and pretty chick. Go get her for me. Do you understand me? You can sense in his voice this attitude. Sad, the permissive parents raise kids who don't know how to say no to themselves because the parents never said no to them. In fact, when the parents said no, it didn't really mean no. One of the things I grieve over the most is a parent who says, no, the next time, no, the next time, no, and the next time. And I go through and watch parents sometimes five and six and seven times tell their child no with no consequences, and your child begins to realize it doesn't mean anything. And we become permissive when that happens, and as children grow up, they have this attitude. So, so question this morning, do you or did you maybe have a permissive dad? To what degree, it could be all over the place. He rarely told you no. He never resisted your sinful leanings. He always bent to your will. He couldn't bear to see you cry. He couldn't bear to bring yourself to suffer. The pain of your rejection in in that moment. And that's really, I think, oftentimes the problem. We react in the moment to their crying when we don't realize... It's going to stop, it's going to end, and they're going to love us for it. He was a pushover. Was he easy to deceive so you could do what you wanted, even if it was to your own detriment? Have you struggled to respect authority and to benefit from God-given authority? Now, if your answer to any of those questions is yes, then you may have had, to some degree, a permissive father. Obviously, in, I, I can. There's, a, there's some issues there. There's some things there I can see where... Okay, I, I can see where I was. I, I failed in a little area here or there. I'm, I'm up here ad- addressing my own things as well. I was at the altar this morning for about 10 minutes until somebody finally came and prayed with me. I needed it as well. So by no means again am I preaching at you. I'm preaching to me, and you just get the overflow and, 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 and let it help you. That's what I try to do every Sunday, to be honest. Let me give you the consequences of a permissive father. The consequences of a permissive, permissive father are seen in the children. And we usually don't see this in the children until they are 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years of age. As they get older, we begin to see the consequences. Right now, we kind of get away with things. They're young. We kind of feel as if we've got time. But over time, we begin to lose that opportunity. And the consequences of our permissiveness begins to take place. And we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 13 in the life of David. Quite honestly, David was a disaster as a dad. You know, I I get it. David did a lot of things right. I get it. But David did a lot of things wrong as well. So I want you to look at the story of Absalom, David's son, and Amnon, David's son. We're going to see that story in 2 Samuel chapter number 13. And it begins in verse 1. Now, Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister. Now, in the margin of my Bible, I have actually written in between those two words, I have the word half-sister, because David had multiple wives, and as a result of David having multiple wives, there were a lot of problems. I want to say just a quick word for one man and one woman in one lifetime. That's the way God intended it. And when it gets away from that, oftentimes there are situations we have to deal with. And David got away from that. Her name was Tamar, this beautiful sister. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, remember, from another mother. Not Absalom's mom, another mom. So they were stepbrothers. Amnon was tormented. I have next to that written the word obsessed. He was obsessed. That he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And I'm going to be very careful here, obviously. I'm always careful. I don't get too graphic in the pulpit. I mean, the Bible sometimes speaks for itself. I want to make sure you understand here that it was his sister. And he said it seemed impossible to do anything to her. In other words, Amnon's thinking was this. Man, I just... I can't do what I want to do. I can't seem to whatever. I'll leave that blank there, but it was immoral thoughts. Sick things that, of course, you and I sitting in this audience are quick to say, that's disgusting. I get it, but hang on just a moment. I want I want you to see the consequences of this permissive parenting play out in this story. And the first thing we see here is that Amnon can't say no to himself. David's son, can't, I can't do what I want to do, so I'm going to find out a way to have what I want. Number one, he had no strength of character. And one of the things that we see resulting from permissive parenting is kids that have a lack of character. have no strength of character, no resolve to do the right thing. Secondly, look at verse number three as the story gets worse. So Amnon had a friend. Now I'm going to tell you what I did with that word friend. I put a line right through it. I didn't scratch it out completely. It's supposed to be there. I get it. But I'm going to tell you the problem I have with that word is this was no friend. Basically the plan that Jonadab had, supposedly the friend of Amnon, was to say, I'm going to give you a plan that's ultimately going to get you murdered. How's that sound? And Amnon said, great. At the end of the day, that's not a real friend. In fact, I think that's one of the worst friends in the Bible, this guy. The Bible says Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. In other words, his cousin. He was a crafty man. That doesn't sound good at all. And he says to him, he comes up with this plan. Oh, son of the king, I I, I got an idea. Um, Why are you so upset? Well, he says, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab says, go lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. Fake it. And when your father comes to see you, just say, could my sister come and make me some cakes? Bake me some you know, pastries in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her? So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, Amnon says to his dad, please, let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight. Interesting thing about in my sight. Just a little tidbit of information. You're going to see that statement, that phrase made in three places. Verse five, look at it, in my sight. Verse six, in my sight my sight. Verse 8, in my sight. Two chapters before, in chapter 11, David looks across at Bathsheba, bathing naked, and in his sight, he sees a woman that he wants. He takes her, commits adultery. It results in David murdering her husband, or having him murdered. The sins of the father affect the children. Because two chapters later, his son is doing the very same thing. In my sight. Then David says to Tamar, totally clueless. Like, doesn't say, son, that's not a good idea. I don't want you going up to your sister's room. Whatever. He just clueless. Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and needed it to make cakes in his sight. Verse 11. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him and said, no. Now, what does no mean, church? No means no. No means no. But let me tell you what no meant to him. No, my brother, do not violate me. Verse 14. But he would not listen to no means no, but to so many, no means in a minute you're going to get exactly what you want. No. But I know they don't mean that because I always get what I want. I just ask enough. I complain enough. I whine enough until they finally can't take it anymore and give in. And so Annon had built up a resistance to the word no where no, what do you mean no? You don't tell me no. So he rapes her. He rapes his sister. He wouldn't listen to her. He was stronger than her. He violated her. He laid with her. Number two, Annon had no sense of value, no strength of character and no sense of value. The consequence of being a permissive father, permissive father raised children who never learned to take no for an answer. The degree to which you were spoiled as a child will be the degree to which you are spoiled as a child. Get the play on words there? I I don't know that it's a good idea to constantly spoil our children because what may happen is it may spoil them. And Amnon was certainly spoiled. I was raised in a single-parent home. I was raised in a home where my mom said no all the time. Yes, it was as a result of my dad not being there. But... It's the way it was. Mom worked a job and she was gone a lot and she worked a third shift job. She was a registered nurse and a very successful registered nurse. And and she had to make enough money to pay the bills and pay the rent and put food on the table. And mom was an amazing lady raising two boys in a single parent home all the way until we graduated from high school. And uh, I remember I, I used to, I'd get invited to these parties at my Catholic school And I'd come home, and I would ask mom. And I would try to clothe it right, you know. Hey, mom, I was wondering, can I go over to Robbie's house? Uh, They're having a a get-together. You know, a get-together. What what, what, what kind of get-together? Well, I mean, they're just, uh, you know, I think we're just going to hang out and just play some games. Well, who's going to be there? Well, I'm not really sure. No. Not enough information. All right, mom. A few weeks later, I'd go back, another party at Robbie's house. Hey, mom, Robbie's having another get-together. Well, who who 's going to be there well I, I, I think his mom parents are out of town no, no, but mom everybody's going i don 't care if everybody's going you 're not going no. I remember the night I took my hands and put them at, under the window at my bedroom, and I lifted it up about three inches i 'm going, and it was as if I could hear Mom say no, and I thought about it. she was a registered nurse she's working to put food on the table i don 't know why I had this sense of value at such a young age, but I pushed that window down and said, I'm not going, and I went to bed. Never went to one of those parties. I'm twenty-three years old, I'm about to become a youth pastor in LA, close to getting married, and I'm back in New Orleans visiting my dad. And I want to go back to the Catholic school that I went to school in at twenty-three. I'm I'm dressed about like this and I'm just wanting to go check out the scenery and remember the the days of old, you know, just reminisce, nostalgia, right? You ever do that with your kids? Maybe take them to where, that's where dad hit a home run. You know what I mean? Those are great conversations. In fact, the older that I get, the better I was. It's amazing. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> I'm, I'm walking around and I'm reminiscing and I'm looking up where Sister Imelda used to give us spankings. Oh, she was the meanest nun you've ever met in your life. I am here today. I am what I am today, partly because of a Catholic nun named Sister Imelda who would take those little paddles with the balls and when you'd get in trouble at the school, she'd right in front of you, rip that ball off, throw it down, bend over, more, pow, pow, pow. I know, I'm going to get emails this week. I know, child abuse. You probably want to see Sister Imelda in jail. Actually, I'm really thankful for Sister Imelda. I'm, I'm here today because that mean old nun thanked me. I'm reminiscing and having a good time. Well, I walked past this bench on the sidewalk and I'm telling you I got a quick glimpse at the face of this poor rugged raggedy old gentleman sitting on that park bench. oh he was in rough shape. Uh, first I could tell he was homeless uh, I could smell the stench as I got closer and he was in bad shape he was just a, in bad shape and I thought I'm not I, I, surely I don't know him and I get about 10 feet past him and I hear the words, Eric Capaci, I turn around, and I look right into this man's face, and I say the words, Robbie Robertson? And I was shocked to see Robbie in such terrible condition. He was the richest kid in the school, had parents that were both doctors, lived in a big house, had all the parties. I, I couldn't believe he was in this shape, but I, did, I ignored it. I totally ignored it. I didn't act like it. I didn't even look shocked. I just embraced him. I just hugged him, stench and all. I just wrapped arms around him and said, hey, Robbie, doing man he goes what am i doing look at you what are you doing i said oh i'm a, I'm gonna be a preacher i said i'm now it's a long story but i'm in seminary and i'm getting married and i'm going to be a youth pastor anyway never mind that how are you doing Ah, uh, one more question what's that robbie you never went to one of those parties did you oh yeah i remember those be honest, Robbie. it's not because I didn't want to. It's because my mom said no, like every week. And you never went? You never dissed her? Nah. He said, good for you, man. He said, I just had dinner out of that trash can. See that dumpster? That's where I eat every night. He said, this is what sneaking and lying and disobeying your parents. This is where it gets you on a park bench with nothing. I just want to let you know you did the right thing. I said, thanks, Robbie. I witnessed to him. He didn't get saved. I gave him the gospel. I don't know where he is today. But I can tell you this. I'm sure Robbie, even though it's wrong, I get it. He needs to give an account for his condition. But I just know Robbie had parents who weren't saying what my mom was saying. No. And let me tell you what would have happened if I would have snuck out of the house I would have scars today, still, I promise you. I would be up here, you know, hey, what's that scar on your face? Oh, Mom, 13 years old, snuck out of the house, you know. Point I'm making is, there are reasons why we say no to our kids. You can save them from a life of peril. Then I want you to see something else here as the story continues, and we're getting close to my conclusion but look down here as well. This is really sad. It's kind of mind-boggling. Verse number 15. So Amnon then hates her with a great hatred so that the hatred which with he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. By the way, that's just the results of sin. Sin is so out of control. It says one thing, it means another. This is, this is just the, the out-of-control spiral effect of sin. And Amnon said to her, Get up! Get out! Go! And and just a sad, sad story. Look what David did in verse 21. When David heard of these things, he was very angry and... Oh, excuse me. He was just angry. He did absolutely nothing. Nothing. His, His child raped his daughter and he did goose egg. He just got angry. Number three. The third result of permissive parenting is no fear of consequences. No fear of consequences. When we refuse to let our kids learn from consequences for bad behavior, others will step in and do the job for us. And in this case, Absalom stepped in. Look at it. Verse number 23. After two full years. Two years went by. It was totally ignored, never brought up. Absalom, who absolutely hated his brother Amnon and plotted to kill him, never addressed. He never sat the two boys down. You know there was tension. He never talked about the tension. He just kept going to work, kept working late, kept ignoring the problem, kept avoiding taking care of it. The Bible says in verse number 28, then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, when I say to you, strike Amnon, kill him. Don't fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous, be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. The Bible says in verse 30, Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, but did absolutely nothing. Because parents couldn't step in and say no, others stepped in and the child suffered. Suffered in adulthood and actually lost his own life. How sad is that? The story gets even worse as you read on. But I'm going to stop there and transition. Because my purpose this morning again... In this season of honoring fathers... Is to continue to honor dads. But to say, dads... Listen, we've got to step up. We've got to be the men that God has called us to be. We've got to recognize in these Bible stories... That this does not give us an excuse to make mistakes... But rather a story, a lesson to learn from. And what greater person to learn from... Then our super dad in heaven, God, the father who never made a mistake, the other in the fire standing right next to us, the one who, when we sang a moment ago, you say, we're talking about what God says over you is more important than what anybody else says over you, he is the perfect father for permissive father wound to heal. God, the father gives healing attention. Because God is not a permissive dad. He's not afraid to get into it with you at all. My wife uh, lately has been telling me that. And at first, got to be honest, I, I thought she was a little whack. I did. She would say, yeah, me and God have it out. I mean, I just tell him what I'm feeling. And I, I mean, she's like, I'm like, whoa, uh, uh, you know, honey, be careful. You know, God's going to strike you. you know, I'm thinking, man, she's losing it. No! She's right. She's got that kind of relationship with her father. And her father doesn't mind at all. Her heavenly father says, go ahead, girl. Get it out. Because in the end, I ain't changing. And you're going to be okay, girl. We're going to make it through this. How many times has Carol Ann told me going through something with Gloria Ann or in our family or even in as a result of her husband who's not perfect. How many times has she said, man, God and I, we just... I just tell him how I feel. And he listens. Why? Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines every son who he receives. For some reason, we've got parenting whacked out. We think we're supposed to pamper our kids, but God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. And sometimes I feel as if we, we, we get into this motion that we want to pamper our children and always say yes for whatever reason when God says we need to say no to perfect them, not yes to pamper them. And yes, we say yes, and yes, we give them uh, things, but we've got to be careful because discipline is the proof of your love, not gifts. Discipline, it's not what you give them. I know parents who were raised in a poverty level and turned out great. Their parents weren't able to give them anything. And I know other parents who basically under their tree was Santa's village like everything. And the kids turned out to be rebels. Because it's not the gift that wins the heart of your child, it's the discipline. That's what shows your love. Discipline is the proof of your love. Now let me close with Zephaniah 3:17. In fact, every single message I'm gonna close with this passage. Because this passage is a message about God the Father. In fact, The entire book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, speaks of the Father's heart. The Father's heart. Take some time to read it. It's not pretty. God is upset and God is throwing out some pretty hard things there in Zephaniah. But towards the end of the book, he says this. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing dads fathers you matter and if you want to learn from the greatest father there ever was our heavenly father here's what he says let's just take that first phrase and talk about it this morning number one i'm going to give you three things here god the father first of all is a personal god he's a personal god he says the lord what your god he's personal he's personal elijah elijah I can use Elijah as an illustration here. Young man just graduated from Washita Baptist University, going on to the University of Arkansas at Little Rock to be the greatest lawyer on the planet Earth. Amen? Going to defend me in my last days when they're trying to throw me in jail for preaching the gospel, right? So, Elijah and I, he, he, what if our relationship were to like this? Hello, Elijah. Dr. Erica Pacey, God bless you. And by the way, when you refer to me, all three terms. You got it? Thank you. And don't forget that. Is that very personal? Oh, what about this? Hey, Elijah. What's up, bro? Give me a little something. I love you, man. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You're doing great. Hey, by the way, I'm just preacher. Eric. That's all. We're friends, right? Yes, sir. Love you. Love you personal. Dad, you know what our kids need? Our kids need that. Our kids need personal. You say, yeah, but they, they, they act like I'm violating their space. Violate it. Get in there. Work through it. I mean, listen. (laughs) What's crazy is I'm 54 years old. My dad still kisses me. And sometimes I'm like, whoa. And then I'm like, if I back up on that, says, hey, 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 get over here, boy. Get Get over here, boy. You're my son. My dad is so personal. Sometimes he can make you just a little bit nervous. But he's a personal dad. He's fully acquainted with me. And I want you to know, your God is fully acquainted with you. You don't have any secrets from him. He knows you better than you know yourself. He is a personal God. He is not absent. His eyes are upon you. He is fully engaged in every detail of your life. He wants to heal every wound you have. That's your heavenly father. And dads, we need to get to as close as that as possible. And be personal with our kids. Number two, God the Father is a present God. He's a present God. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's in your midst. He's among you. He's alive right now. He's not dead. We serve a risen Savior. He is actually in the services today. That's why we can praise and worship our God. Not We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We can do it now because He is here. He is Yahweh. He is a present God dads we need to be present in our homes I know what it's like to be away from the house leave every Monday morning come back Wednesday run to church leave on Thursday come back Saturday go to church leave on Monday come back Wednesday go to church I was away for about three years I hardly was home and almost paid the price of losing my oldest son who's now your student pastor you say yeah but no he he made his own choices yeah but he had a, a dad that wasn't there and if, if, I, if I'm not there What do I expect? Today Mo can hardly tell you without crying The day that I walked in and said I've cancelled all my meetings I gave my whole itinerary to my deacons I couldn't say no to my friends They were asking me to preach I couldn't say no, I was terrible at it So I just said, guys, you say no And they started saying no In fact, after I started making a few changes at the church That said no for me That was kind of cool if you want to lose all your friends, put drums on the platform and they're all gone, you know I started having them canceling me. I was like, this works great. You know, what else could I do to upset my friends? And, and, and I got off the road and, and since that day, I've been a much more present dad. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm just there. I'm at the games. I drive the bus. I, I'm, the, I'm the guy with the CDL I'm the guy that you see driving the bus to the games. It's weird. I know it's weird. I know people think, why is the pastor driving the bus? Because it's an excuse to go to every game. It's an excuse to be there. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons why I'm there. Don't get me wrong. But the point I'm trying to make is that I'd rather be a bus driver to my kid's game than save the nation. Because what's, really, what is the good if I save every other kid's life but lose my own? And I almost lost my kid. I mean, he almost went the way of the world. And it would have been his fault. Yes, and he would have given an account for him. I get it. I get it. And I can't blame myself. I get it. I understand. But I've got to take some responsibility as a dad. I wasn't present. And God is a present God. Number three, God the Father is a powerful God. The Lord your God is a... He's in your midst. And He's a mighty one who will save What have you brought to church with you today? What do you need your father to save you from? Where are you hurting? God wants to heal you. Where are you lonely? God wants to be your friend. He is a powerful God. He's a mighty one who will save. And dads, we can be a dad who presents not only a a presence in our homes, but we can be that security for our kids. Kids feel more secure when dad is around and when dad's there to meet the needs and 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 mom's got a, a sweeter touch than I do. But you know what? I'm thankful today that I can help supply the needs for my kids. And they know that God ultimately is the one supplying the need. But I'm grateful they know that dad is there giving security and being a strength. And then when I fail, when I mess up, which is, by the way, often, aren't you glad God never messes up? God never fails. Sometimes I've learned, especially with my daughter, Chloe, be honest it's different than raising boys these guys are different you know you say to guys suck it up you ain't hurt (laughs) that's what i say he did all right he got roughed up a few times my dad said to me suck it up boy you ain't hurt you're a man you say that to a girl it's over You know not just say? Don't go, come here, sweetheart. It's okay. It's, you know, and then it's like worse than it's ever been. And and you find out all she did was like prick her finger. It's like, really? But here's the point. I've learned as a dad with Chloe that I, there's no way I can meet every need. I, I just can't. I can't figure her out sometimes. It's hard. I don't think like she thinks I'm, it's tough. It's different raising girls. But you know what I've noticed about Chloe is? She has such a relationship with God, the Father, that every area that I screw up in, he's got it covered. So dads, here's some good news. Do the best you can. Do the best you can. But know this, God's got your back. God's got your back. And where you mess up, God's got it. God's picking up the pieces and God's going to work it out. And God's going to be to you what you could not be for your kids. Because he's the ultimate dad. And so I close with this. It says, he will exalt over you with singing. And so every Sunday, I just want to finish the service singing over you. I mean, that's what it says. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I'm going to let the worship team just sing over you. And it's a great song. It's called The Heart of God. It's got words in it that are staggering, staggering words. I mean, powerful words. And I want you to listen to these words. And then, however you feel led, honestly... If you want to pray with your children, pray with your spouse. If dad, you want to grab a kid and say, let's let's talk, let's pray a little bit. If whatever you feel like you need to do, I'd like for the next few moments before we're dismissed just to be a moment of, of relational uh, prayer and conversation and singing. And let's let the heart of God minister to our hearts. Where we've had a father wound, where we've been hurt. Let's let God minister his mercy. Shall we pray? Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for helping me preach this message. Lord, I admit that I have not been the perfect father. God, I'm excited about Father's Day, and I know next week is a day to honor dads. I get it. But, Lord, there's been many times in my life that I've not been worth honoring. Mistakes I've made. I just want to thank you for being the true leader of our home. God, help me to learn from you and your word. Help me to learn from the mistakes of other dads in the Bible. And God, help me to be transparent as a pastor, to teach and preach, not out of a life of perfection, but out of a life of failure. Because God, it's only when we are able to admit our mistakes that we can really help people. God, we're all in this thing together, struggling To pick up the pieces and to be the very best that we can be. But knowing, God, that ultimately you take our failures and you somehow heal them. And and, and somehow today I've got children that are serving you. It's not because of me. It's because of you and your grace. Thank you, God. I love you. So bless now this song as we ask you to sing over us these words. In Jesus' name. Amen.